Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son, Paul, and his wife, Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the testimony of Tom Darnell, a fingerprint examiner for the State Law Enforcement Division of South Carolina, or SLED. In this installment, we cover the brief testimonies of several more witnesses from SLED. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It is approaching the lunch hour on February 3rd, 2023, day eight of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, SLED investigator Tom Darnell had just completed his testimony regarding various fingerprint swabs collected from the Murdoch's Moselle Road property in the aftermath of the murders. As we begin today, the prosecution calls Blake Johnson to the stand. Mr. Johnson appears to be in his 40s. He sports close-cropped brown hair around a balding pate. He wears a light gray suit, a sky-blue dress shirt, with a brown, blue, and white checkered tie. Savannah Goud handles the questioning for the prosecution. Hi, Johnson. Hello. Um, could you tell the jury where you work? I work for the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. And how long have you been with SLED? Been with SLED a little over five years. What are some of um, the duties of your position? At SLED, I work for the investigative services in the Lowcountry region, and as part of that, I investigate crimes within the lower 12 counties to include homicides, officer-involved shootings, cases such as that. And um, with your involvement in the investigation of um, Paul and Maggie Murdahl's murders, did you have a chance to um, collect some vocal swaps in that case? I did. I'm going to show you what's been marked as tapes exhibit 338 and tapes exhibit 339. Prosecutor Goud hands Mr. Johnson two evidence bags containing buckle swabs. A buckle swab is a cotton swab used to collect saliva from inside a person's cheek for use in DNA analysis. This one is a buckle swab that I took from Claude Rowe, CB Rowe, and... That's tapes exhibit 338. And this is a buckle swab that I took from Connor Cook. And how do you know you took these two buckle swabs? Because of the writing on the outside. Um, This is that exterior envelope. If I open them, the one that I have side would be at the And how did you collect these buckle swabs? I was provided uh, buckle swabs. They come two to a pack in a sterile pack. Um, They're opened and the inside uh, between the cheek and gum of both subjects are swabbed and they're put back in an envelope. And sealed. And sealed? Yep. Okay. Um, they're sealed so nobody um, can tamper or alter those box swaps? Yep. Evidence tape is placed on the seal um, and it's signed, initialed, and dated. And, Your Honor, we have no further questions for this witness. No questions. Thank you. Thank step you down. Blake Johnson leaves the witness stand. 
The prosecution next calls Lawrence Wiggins to the stand. Wiggins is in his mid-30s. He sports short brown hair and wears a gray suit, a blue dress shirt, and a gray pattern tie. Savannah Goud again handles the questioning for the prosecution. Are you the chief of, is, of Allendale? Is it Sheriff's Office, Police Department? Yes, so I'm currently employed as the chief of police for the town of Allendale. And but back in um, 2021, where were you employed? I was employed with the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. I was assigned to the investigative services, and I worked out at the regional office in Walterboro. And um, at that time, were you involved in the investigation of the deaths of um, Maggie and Paul Murdoch? I was, uh, preliminarily. And did you have an occasion to collect some bubble swaps? I did. I'm going to hand you State's Exhibit 30, 336 and 337. You could take a look at those and tell us what we have there. Prosecutor Goud once again presents to the witness several evidence bags containing buckle swabs. We have buckle swabs taken from Mr. Roger Davis and Anthony Cook. You collected those swabs? I did. And how do you know you collected them? My initials and... I'll consent to the admission, the admission of these rather than going through the process of how he, how he identified them and collected them. That she's welcome to do that, but I'm just trying to save a little time here. All right. This case exhibit 336 and 337. Well, Your Honor, we would have no further questions for this witness then. No questions, Your Honor. Thanks, After defense attorney Dick Harpoolian offers no objection to the admission of these items of evidence and Judge Clifton Newman admits them, Mr. Wiggins is excused from the witness stand. Prosecutor Savannah Goud briefly convenes with Mr. Harpoolian and lead prosecutor Creighton Waters before calling the state's next witness, Chandler Horney. Ms. Horney appears to be in her 30s. She sports shoulder-length, dark brown hair, and wears a gray sweater blazer over a red blouse. Prosecutor Goud again handles the questioning for the state. And um, Agent Horney, can you tell the jury who you work for? I work for the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Okay, and what is your position there? I'm a special agent with the Vice Services Unit. And were you involved in the murder investigation of Paul and Maggie Murdoch? I was. Did you collect some buffalo swaps or in this case? I did. I'm going to hand you State's Exhibit 340. Prosecutor Goud hands Ms. Horney an evidence bag. You will tell us what those are. Um, these are the collected buckle swabs from Morgan Dowdy and Miley Altman. And how were those collected? Um, they were actually collected by a coworker, Special Agent Anthony Sampson. Um, in my presence, he took the swabs of the inside um, of both of these individuals' cheeks. And then um, when he took the swabs, he placed them in this envelope. And they were placed in um, bags that were sealed not to be tampered with? Yes, ma'am. Your Honor, at this time, the State Removes takes Exhibit 340 into evidence. No objection. Submitted. We have no further questions for the agent. Sorry, Your Honor. Any questions? No, sir. Thank you. Step down. Thank you. Chandler Horney steps down from the witness stand. The prosecutor next calls Jomar Albialde. Mr. Albialde is in his 40s. He sports dark hair parted on his left side and glasses with dark plastic frames. He wears a navy blue suit, a white dress shirt, and a pink tie. Savannah Goud once again handles the questioning for the prosecution. After establishing that the witness goes by Joe, the prosecutor asks him about a trick he taught her to remember the pronunciation of his last name. And um, you did tell me a little trick to pronouncing that last name there. Yes, ma'am. Okay, what was that? 
If you uh, remember the phrase, I'll be here all day and drop it here, I'll be all day, you got it. <laughs> and thank you so much for sharing that with me. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, and you work for SLED, is that right? I do. Okay, and um, did you have the chance to collect some buckle swabs um, in the investigation of the murders of Paul and Maggie Murdoch? I did. I'm going to hand you State's Exhibit 342, 343, and 344. So take a look, please. Prosecutor Goud presents to the witness three evidence bags containing buckle swabs. Yes, ma'am. Okay, and State's Exhibit 342 is a buckle swab you collected from who? Exhibit 342 is from Mr. Randy Murdoch. Okay, and then 343? 343 is a DNA uh, sample collected from a Hippolito Torres. And 344. This final uh, buckle sample was collected from his son, Alan Gonzalez. And how did you collect these buckle swaps? Yes, ma'am. Uh, these were collected via a DNA or buckle swap kit, uh, which essentially is a swab, as Special Agent Johnson explained to you earlier. So it's simply a swab from each side of the inner cheek, placed into a secured envelope, and then uh, sealed in an evidence envelope, such as this one. It would be sealed so it was not um, tampered with, is that right? That's correct, ma'am. Okay. At this time, this tape removes tapes 342, 343, and 344 into evidence. It says defense. No. It is Thank you, Your Honor. Tate has no further questions for Judge. Thank you. No questions, Your Honor. Thank you. You may step down. Thank you, Your Honor. After Mr. Albialde leaves the witness stand, Judge Clifton Newman calls for a brief break so that the prosecution can gather exhibits for their next witness. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. After a 10-minute recess, the trial resumes as prosecutors call Paul Greer to the witness stand. Mr. Greer is in his 30s and sports light brown hair. He wears a navy blue suit, a white dress shirt, and a red striped tie. Prosecutor David Fernandez handles the questioning for the state. He begins by asking the witness about his background. Greer responds that he received a Bachelor's of Science in Biological Sciences from the University of South Carolina. Prosecutor Fernandez continues his questioning by asking Greer about his career with SLED and some of his qualifications as a firearms examiner. All right, Paul, walk us through a little bit about your career. With whom are you currently employed? I'm employed at the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, which is commonly known as SLED. 
All right, and tell us a little bit about your professional career. How did you get started at SLED and uh, what it is that you do there? Yes, sir. Um, after um, completing my Bachelor of Science at USC, I uh, began an internship at SLED in the Forensic Services Laboratory. I specifically did that internship with our Fire and Toolmark Department. Um, I interned there for several months and ultimately um, achieved a position there in that unit. Um, I began my employment officially at SLED in March of 2014 in the firearms department, um, where I began uh, training to become a firearms examiner. All right, and are you currently employed as a firearms examiner uh, with SLED? Yes, sir. All right, uh, Paul, Mr. Greer, if you would, walk us through what that required in order to become a firearms examiner. Sure. In order to become a firearms examiner, there's a lot of extensive training on the job that must be conducted. At SLED, I began an in-house training program that we refer to as the Fireman Toolmark Course of Instruction. Um, during this time, again, it was extensive, approximately three years or so. I assisted other examiners who were qualified on the job, um, prepped their cases. I learned how to work those cases. I looked at thousands of fired ammunition components on the microscope and did many comparisons of those. During that time, I also completed multiple written and practical examinations. At the conclusion of that uh, training program, I was given a comprehensive final exam that included some mock casework within our laboratory. Um, I successfully completed all of that training in that mock casework and was able to begin working cases on my own. In addition to the comprehensive uh, qualifications and testing required to become a forensic examiner, are forensic examiners and SLED also subject to yearly uh, testing as well? Yes, sir. Um, we do the competency um, at the conclusion of our training program, um, but we also participate in proficiency testing each year. Um, within uh, an area in our discipline. Um, so that is completed. I complete a proficiency test each year, and that just assures that we're maintaining our competency. Thank you. Paul, are you a member of any um, professional organizations? Yes, sir, I am. And which, ones would that, which one would that be? I'm a member of the Association of Firemen Toolmark Examiners, um, which is also known as AFTI. Have you had any opportunity to attend additional trainings or conferences uh, under the umbrella of firearms and toolmark uh, examinations? Yes, sir, I have. Should we explain a couple of those or a few of those, if you would? Yes, sir. AFTI hosts an annual conference each year. And AFTI, I might add, is an international organization. Uh, it's a group of firearms and toolmark examiners around the world, as well as other scientists and members from um, the academic world. Um, we get together each year, and I attend that when I'm able, in order to share information and, and see what's happening within the field of firearms and toolmark examination. I've attended several of those conferences, and I've also attended some regional conferences that have been hosted um, by the FBI laboratory in Quantico. And uh, speaking of the laboratory, is your laboratory um, accredited? Yes, sir, it is. And what is the accreditation it, it operates under? Um, the SLED laboratory is accredited under ANAB. Um, that is a, a national organization that follows um, ISO 17025 standards, and those are international standards. So our laboratory is um, operating at this, within the same set of standards as other labs in the United States that are accredited with ANAB, and also those who follow the ISO 17025. And in order to maintain accreditation, are there is there an inspection process that ANAB requires? Yes, sir. All right, and explain, if you would, the couple of inspections that, that are typically required. In order to maintain our accreditation, um, we have a visit approximately every four years. Auditors come in to the laboratory to um, check our casework, review our files, make sure that we're operating within those standards, 
And they, uh, they watch us perform casework. That's a big, huge component. And they do this for all the disciplines within the laboratory. And, and that audit every four years within that cycle helps to ensure that we are, we're meeting those standards. Internally at SLED, we also have internal audits each year. So even though um, the ANAV inspectors that come every four years, uh, we may not see them every year. There is some type of audit being performed within our departments and in our casework each year. Does the SLED laboratory operate under a uh, policies and procedures guideline for the overall agency? Yes, sir, we do. All right, and explain a little bit about how that involves the lab. Um, SLED in general has a, a large set of policies that we must adhere to. Within the laboratory, um, each department has a manual that they must follow that gives them information on how to conduct their everyday um, work and how to perform casework. Um, additionally, and following the um, ANAB accreditation, um, we have a SLED quality manual that is uh, specifically for the laboratory. Um, we must follow that as well. And those are all guidelines to help us um, within to conduct casework. And in addition to the SLED quality assurance manual, would there additionally be a SLED firearms department manual that you have to comply with? Yes, sir. There is a, a firearms manual that we must uh, follow. Just very briefly, please explain what that involves. Yes, sir. That, again, is just a, a document that gives us information on how to conduct our day-to-day uh, -day casework and what to do um, with evidence, how we should examine that. Um, it also gives us information into our training program, um, any type of calibration or measurement um, references that we need to consult for our equipment that we use. All of that information is contained within that manual that we um, have to follow and can reference. All right, and if you would, please explain uh, to the jury what firearms identification, generally the subject matter, what that is. Um, firearms identification is a discipline in forensic science um, where our main objective each day is to examine those fired ammunition components. So imagine a fired cartridge case or a fired bullet, and we're looking at those in order to determine if they were fired by a specific firearm. How long, and how long, again, had you, have you been working in SLED, in the SLED laboratory? I've been employed in the firearms department at SLED for almost nine years. And have you had an opportunity to testify in, in court such as this? I have. Would that be uh, both state and federal courts? I have testified in state and federal courts, yes, sir. Okay. Approximately how many times, or do you know how many times? Um, approximately 27 times, yes, sir. Your Honor, at this point, state moves to admit uh, Mr. Greer as a firearms and toolmark examination expert. Judge Newman qualifies Mr. Greer as a firearms and toolmark examination expert without objection from the defense. Prosecutor Fernandez continues his questioning by asking the witness about the specifications of the type of firearms used in the shootings of Paul and Maggie. Mr. Greer, I'd, I'd like to take the moment to kind of uh, educate the jury a little bit on firearms. Yes, sir. And if you would, please, please tell us a little bit about the, uh, well, first of all, are you familiar with the two kind of cartridge rounds we're, we're going to primarily be talking about today? Yes, sir. And are you familiar with the two kind of uh, firearms we're going to generally be talking about today? Yes, sir. I am. All right. If you would, please give us a little, an intro to firearms, uh, beginning with perhaps a shotgun. Tell us what makes that a unique type of firearm and how it generally operates. In general, a firearm is a mechanism that uh, propels a projectile through the combustion of gunpowder. As uh, he was stating, there are several different types of firearms. And one of them um, is a shotgun. Um, a shotgun, if you, if you imagine, is a long gun, um, typically that is designed to be fired from the shoulder. I mean, that has a smooth bore. And what the bore is, it's just the inside of that barrel. So there's no rifling inside that barrel, typically. A shotgun is also a different. 
than um, maybe a handgun that you may be familiar with, and it fires shot shells. And, and a shot shell is a, a cartridge, if you will, that could be plastic or metal that can contain multiple projectiles or a single projectile. When you said uh, barrel, smoothbore, and rifling, would, would rifling mean sort of the interior of the, the barrel where the bullet exits is spiraled inside? Correct. That rifling um, is in barrels. In order to give a bullet that's traveling down that barrel its rotary twist and, and spin so that way it can um, travel to a target or its destination. And does that rifling assist in the bullet traveling in a straight line consistently? Uh, yes, that rifling that's inserted into that barrel, um, if you'll think of kind of like a quarterback throwing a football, it helps it give it that nice spiral so that it, it can fall, travel um, more efficiently. Kind of the uh, opposite of that would be the smooth bore of a shotgun. How does that affect the uh, pellets or the BBs inside of the shotgun? So in the sh a typical shotgun, you don't have that rifling that gives it that spin or twist, but that's not the design of the shotgun. Um, so when those pellets or slug or whatever is traveling down the bore of that shotgun, um, it is just traveling out the barrel based on uh, the combustion from it firing. And if you would please describe to us what type of ammunition a shotgun will shoot. You use a shot shell. Um, that can be uh, made of some type of plastic, typically we see that, with some type of metal head on it. Inside that uh, shot shell, there can be multiple projectiles. Um, you hear of pellets. Um, we, we think of birdshot, buckshot. That's what would be inside of a shot shell. Also in there, there may be other components um, that could be plastic or um, some type of paper material, and that would be a wad. And those have different uh, jobs within a shot shell. Those can be to protect the pellets, um, to keep them together as they travel, to provide some type of cushioning between those pellets and um, the powder. Um, so they all have different various purposes within inside that shot shell. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our review of the testimony of Paul Greer. Also, check out the Crime Story Podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.